This is Tiella Grimes, the Inner Uplifter, and thank you for tuning into my podcast, Navigating the Hand-Me-Downs of Reality, where I share commentary, reflections, and my perspective on how we make sense of ourselves in the world around us. Sydney, can I have some ice cream? No. Please. I said no. But I'm hungry. That's your problem, Darlene. You're always hungry. So, I want to go home. You will. Now. You just going to have to wait, little girl, because I ain't going nowhere until Lewis gets here. Do you understand? I said, do you understand? When we get home, I'm telling mama you been mean to me. On this episode of Navigating the Hand-Me-Downs of Reality, I'm looking at interpersonal connections. How does communication create and change close relationships? In the beginning of this episode, I pretty much recited some lines from a mini movie, a script from a mini movie that I participated in when I was eight years old that my uncle wrote and directed. And I was playing the role of a little girl who's with her sister and pretty much wanted some ice cream while out with her. And she was going to meet her boyfriend and she was waiting. Like she wasn't going to go nowhere and make any moves until, you know, she met up with him. And I was in the moment. Yeah, I could call it what it is being a little annoying because I wanted some ice cream and I just wanted to just like be done with waiting around. Um, and so looking at how that communication transpired, she kind of got a little upset because the little sister got a little attitude and was kind of like, well, I want to go home. And big sister was like, yeah, you will. And little sister was like, no, now. (laughs) And big sister's like, nah, like, first of all, I'm not going anywhere. You're going to just have to wait. This is what it is. Do you understand me? And pretty much like at the end, just the little sister feeling like, whatever, when we get home, I'm telling mom you've been mean to me. Boom. At the end of the day, she still didn't get her ice cream. Um, (laughs) So looking at the turning points in that conversation, I'm thinking about the nature of the relationship and how communication plays out in close relationships, right? I believe communication plays out differently in our relationships based on the type of relationship that it is, as well as the role within that relationship. And since communication is the primary way that we use to construct our sense of self and the world, we need to ask ourselves this question. How does communication between two people impact the nature of the relationship between them? What are those dynamics, right? So, What is communication and why is it important? 
One of these amazing sources that I have utilized in my in my teachings has been a textbook called A First Look at Communication by Emery Griffin. And in this textbook, there are multiple communication theories in relation to how we communicate in our interpersonal relationships, um, in organizational relationships, um, just looking at these different dynamics and also looking at how, you know, we make sense of ourselves through communication. So the definition of communication that is utilized within this textbook is communication is the relational process of creating and interpreting messages that elicit a response. So I love that definition because it highlights it's a process that's relational and where messages are created and interpreted and those that are created and interpreted elicit some type of response, right? So I want to take you through the five features of communication, communication that, um, that Griffin highlights that I believe is very important in looking at how it plays out in interpersonal relationships. Now, I want to highlight that this is in regards to, these five are in regards to a larger context using various texts. So example, that could be like a recorded message that could be analyzed by others. So a book, film, photograph, any transcript of such and such. How I am connecting this in in our process of communication in, in interpersonal relationships, it's just looking at when we speak, and we deliver a message. That message is at the core of the communication, right? So that's one part. The second part is the creation of messages. Um, a communicator is making a conscious choice of message form and substance. And quotes, only when we become more mindful of the nature and impact of our messages will we have the ability to alter them. So sometimes we say certain things we don't think before we speak. Uh, we might react before we get a chance to respond. Our emotions, sometimes we lead with our emotions and that gets the best of us. And then you have a moment and be like, oh man, I wouldn't have never said that if I just had a moment to like, oh, I was just so excited in the moment. Oh my goodness, I couldn't believe it. Or I was just so frustrated in the moment. Oh my goodness, I couldn't believe it. So sometimes we say things and we don't really give ourselves a moment to really think about the impact that that message is going to have, even though our intent may not be connected to that impact ultimately. Number three, interpretation of messages. He says messages do not interpret themselves. It's our interpretation that counts. One of my favorite quotes in this book is words don't mean things. People mean things. So it's very important to understand that the messages that kind of like happen or the, the messages we hear, it's not anything that is just like, oh, okay. It is what it, no, we have to, they don't just interpret itself, right? Um, it's our interpretation that counts and people mean things. So 
when the person said what they said, they meant what they said. So, right, really looking at the meaning, um, the person behind that and what they really meant. Henry Bloomer, who is a symbolic interactionist, he states, human humans act towards people or things on the basis of the meaning they assign to those people or things. Now, remember, I had stated earlier that I strongly believe that communication plays out differently in our relationships based on the type of relationship that it is, as well as the role within that relationship. So for example, how I assign meaning to my mom and how I communicate with her is going to be completely different to how I assign meaning to a stranger on the street, <laughs> you know? So, you know, how I'm going to act towards my mom, I'm not going to act the same way towards a stranger. So I may run up to my mom and give her hugs and kisses. I'm not going to run up to a stranger on the street and run up and give her hugs and kisses because that's just a boundary issue, right? Among some other things. <laughs> Number four, a relationship, a relational process. So communication is a relational process. It is a process. That is the key word. The flow is always in flux. Flux is the action or the process of flowing in and out. It's never a freeze frame thing. It's always flowing. Um, and communication process is more about relationships. I love what, um, I love what Celeste Condit, she's a rhetorical theorist. She states something very beautiful that I love. Communication is a process of relating. This means it is not primarily or essentially a process of transferring information or of disseminating or circulating signs. Though these things can be identified as happening within the process of relating. So communication is relational, not because it takes place between two or more people, but more so because it affects the nature of the connections among those people. So how we communicate, what we communicate, it also, our relationships plays a role in how our messages are received and interpreted. So it's really mindful. So for example, one of the things I think of growing up, you know, me and my mom has had many conversations in my adult life, which I'm so appreciative for because it has brought a lot of healing, a lot, a lot of healing to the child and the teenager and even my early 20s. Um, just speaking about the ways in which, you know, I received some of her messages growing up in the manner in which she was communicating it. And granted, our perspectives in the dialogue or the conversation taking place is different. I'm coming from the place of the child. She's coming from the place of a parent. So I can't necessarily say, I could be like, oh, I'm a parent. I know exactly where you're coming from. And maybe I have to say, but <laughs> my mom does know what it's like and have has and has had the experience being a child 
being a teen, being in her early 20s and other ages after that I haven't experienced yet, but being in that parent-child dynamic and knowing what it's like receiving certain messages that my grandmother may have delivered to her in certain tones, body languages, and all the nonverbal and verbal pieces that you could think of. So it's not necessarily like... Like when I think about the relational process and a little bit of history context behind it, it's not that as a parent, you ain't got experience as being a kid. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, but I know that I, from the, the child perspective and now I'm an adult, adult kid, adult daughter, I'm not a parent. So yes, it would be facts. I don't a hundred percent know how it is. Right. (laughs) So last but not least, five features of communication. Number five messages that elicit a response. This is one of my favorite parts of this definition. Um, because when I think about just interpersonal relationships, let's take, let's take away our roles. Let's take away, you know, our titles and all of that. Just two people. When you are engaging in communication, you kind of, you definitely want to have some type of response, right? So messages that elicit a response, it really explores the effect of the message upon the people who receive it. If a message fails to stimulate any cognitive, I love to, excuse me, this is a quote. If a message fails to stimulate any cognitive, emotional, or behavioral reaction, it seems pointless to refer to it as communication. We often refer to such situations as a message falling on deaf ears or the other person turning a blind eye, end quote, M. Griffin. So when I think about that, I'm like, just in communication, you want to speak with someone, you know, you you want to be talking to a brick wall, so to speak, right? Because you're you're expecting a response back. So I think that's really important um, to know that, you know, when you're communicating, it's not just you're talking to, you're talking to another person, but technically you, you don't want to be talking to yourself because you just had that conversation in your own head <laughs> instead of, um, you know, trying to get it out. So now that we know what communication is and the five features of communication, why is communication important? Just in case you forgot or haven't really caught it, it's because it's the primary way that we use to construct our sense of self in the world around us, right? We have to communicate. I mean, we communicate and through communication, we make meaning. We co-create meaning. It's not just, oh, it makes its own meaning. It's the, it's, remember, it's the people in which, like, people mean things. So words don't mean things. People mean things. So I really, really want to start to get into interpersonal communication because according to Ed Griffin, it's a complex transaction in which overlapping messages simultaneously affect and are affected by the other person and multiple other factors. So communication plays out different in our relationships based on the type of relationship it is, as well as the role within that relationship. And I strongly feel that 
there's so ooh, we, we there's so many messages that we receive on a daily basis and with these different relationships that we have they impact us differently so there are two communication theories that I want to bring into the conversation. One, symbolic interactionism by George Herbert Med, and two, relational dialectics founded by Leslie Baxter and Barbara Montgomery. So in symbolic interactionism, George Herbert Med believed that our thoughts, self-concept, and wider community we live in are created through communication. Communication, which is a symbolic interaction that takes place between people. Symbolic interaction is the ongoing use of language and gestures a person uses in anticipation of the way others will respond. So in our many different relationships that we have and the different identities and roles that we have within those relationships... We communicate differently. So the way I might speak to my mom is not going to be the same way I speak to my my boss at work. And definitely ain't going to be the same way that I speak with my best friend. In terms, in, in regards to the conversation of interpersonal relationships, when I think about something I might want to express that's really deep and personal... I might measure, like, if I say this to my mom, how is this, oh, is that going to be, is she the one that I really want to say it to versus I'm going to go tell my best friend any and everything, almost any and everything, because still I think there's some pieces that ourselves, to ourselves that we keep to ourselves. There are three core principles of symbolic interactionism, meaning, language, and thinking, meaning, as quoted by Henry Bloomer, who's a symbolic interactionist, he stated humans act towards people or things on the basis of the meaning they assign to those people or things. Further in highlighting, interpretations are a joint venture. So because meaning doesn't make meaning of itself, right? Um, words don't mean things. People mean things. And so this leads into the next part of language. Meaning arises out of the social interactions that people have with one another. So it's through our conversations with other people that we begin to make meaning out of certain things, right? meaning is negotiated through the use of language. So without language, technically, how could we really be able to kind of like interact with each other and make meaning if we didn't have a form of language there? And that language could be both verbal and nonverbal. So that's definitely important to highlight. It's not necessarily being just not only being able to communicate verbally, but being able to understand some nonverbal commute, some nonverbal cues and commuting, communicating those as well. Thinking. An individual's interpretation of symbols is modified by his or her own thought processes. Thinking 
let's think of thinking as an inner conversation, right? So George Herbert Med called this inner conversation minding. And minding is an inner dialogue used to test alternatives, rehearse actions, and anticipate reactions before responding. It's the self-talk. So symbolic interaction, whether verbal or nonverbal, again, activates our cognitive ability for inner dialogue that once switched on, won't shut down. So we don't lose that ability to not talk to ourselves or have that self-talk. We have the language, we have the words, we have our form, um, we have the, the context that we can utilize to help us form our thoughts and have that conversation. Um, and there's a, there's a just a little highlight, taking the role of the other. This is this process of mentally imagining that you are someone else who is viewing you. Sometimes in our own self-talk processes, in our when we're minding, for example, I might take the role of my mom in my head. <laughs> now, I use parent-child because that is one of the closest dynamics that, you know, I think many of us have parent child, or even I would say guardian child dynamic, right? But in the parent child context, let's say I did something wrong. I'm being younger doing this. I did something wrong. And you know, the anticipation of the conversation, because I already know I was at school. I was acting up. The teacher called my mother. It's a wrap. When I get home, it's on and popping with the conversation with some form of of consequence that's about to come my way. I don't know what it is, but I'm just anticipating it, right? So then what I'll do is I'll be like, all right, what's going to happen? This is what I did. I was talking too much in school. Now, this ain't the first time. It ain't the second time. It ain't the third time. Now, I'm anticipating how many times my mama had to have ran this conversation by me multiple times about being quiet in school. She don't want to have another call come to her. I then imagine her. So I take the role of her speaking to me. While I'm in my head, just doing my little inner dialogue. And I'm just like, hmm, yep, mommy, I, yep, mm-hmm. What did I ask you to do? Didn't I tell you to go to school? Mm, I don't want to really hear that. So now, mind you, the conversation has not taken place, but I'm already anticipating how I'm going to go into this conversation with my mom. How is she going to respond? What are going to be some things that she's going to say? How is she going to be looking at me? Where her hands are going to be? Is her arms going to be crossed? Is her hands going to be on her hips? Is her hand going to be reaching for something else? (laughs) So there's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot that I begin to think about um, in my interpersonal connection with my mom and thinking about, okay, what am I about to say? How is it going to impact our, our, our relationship? Is she going to be mad at me? Is she going to be disappointed? How is she going to respond? All those different things come in, come into play. So with symbolic interactionism, I'm already thinking about, because I know my mom, I'm thinking about her language and the gestures um, that she might give me, but I'm also already prepared of what I'm going to give her. I'm going to sit quietly. I might look down, but no, because... It's look me in the eye when I'm talking to you. So I want to make sure I focus on looking her in her eyes so she knows that I'm paying attention to her. <laughs> so in re- so now that I have that down, right? 
I already know my gesture, my language, how I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, respond to her or interact with her. Relational dialectics, I really love what Baxter and Montgomery highlights. And what they're looking at is they examine how communication create and constantly changes close relationships. So this is where I kind of got the, the question from for the podcast is like, how does communication create and change close relationships? Um, pulling from this theory in which they believe people struggle to interpret the mixed messages about their relationship that they both spoke and heard. And their whole basic claim for this theory is social life is a dynamic knot of contradictions, a ceaseless interplay between contrary or opposing tendencies. Simply put, contradictions arrive all the time. And what this theory highlights is the tension, the struggle, and the general messiness of close personal ties. I believe the that this theory is has a strong impact on our relationships. And the first one I think of is a parent-child dynamic is looking at the tension and the struggle that kind of go back and forth in the communication process throughout the different stages that I believe is the different stages of a child's life that a parent is having a hard time adapting to because you're, this is just my theory. When you're grown, you have a certain way and a certain expectation of how things should be done. So when you say what you say, you mean what you said and that's what it is. So you expect it to be interpreted as you said it. Now, a 17-year-old and how you communicate to a 17-year-old and how they're going to receive that message is not going to be the same as a two-year-old who does not have the same foundation <laughs> and the same um I will say the the same vocabulary as a 17 year old to be able to understand what you're saying. So there's other ways that you are going to have to communicate to the two year old that you necessarily hope by the time your child's 17, that you're not using the same type of mechanisms with them. It should be simply when I said what I said, it is what it is. Let it be done. So with relational dialectics, what I love is, it's really just saying like, no matter what, there's always this ongoing tug of war created through conversations and certain people experience in certain pulls or tugs in different directions in the midst of that conversation, of that dialogue taking place. And so it's inevitable. Facing conflict in communicated and communicative processes takes places in our relationships regardless typically regardless of the nature of that relationship. So just because, you know, no matter what the role is, parent, child, significant other, friends, and, you know, another episode I will look at working relationships and colleagues and all those different dynamics. Um, But it doesn't really matter because guess what? Conflict is going to arise because sometimes, let's just be real, we make meaning differently how we perceive something is going to be different than how someone else is going to perceive something. 
And sometimes we'll have the same aha moment. Like, yes, you're right. You're right. I'm right. Yes. Boom. And we're on the same page. Certain dynamics, it's not always like that. And it's not always perfect either. So one of the things that I love that Baxter and Montgomery highlights is every relationship experiences ups and downs. No relationship stays the same from start to finish. The dialectical perspective captures the dynamic nature of relationships and describes some of the common tensions or ups and downs that relational partners experience. So I want you to take a moment and reflect. Does our identity impact how we communicate? Since communication plays out differently in our relationships based on what I believe is the type of relationship that it is, as well as the role within that relationship, I believe those are two factors to definitely consider um, when communicating. I believe it's important to take a look at identity and, you know, before the break, which is asking the question of, does our identity impact the way we communicate? And I strongly believe for me personally, it does because I, I call it the art of code switching, which I don't think it's like anything that I really, <laughs> it's not like an art to master or anything that I went into training for. I think through experiences, because I'm the expert of my own experiences, I have been able to formulate my own perspectives um, and also look at the environments, the situations, the context, thinking about all of that in play and in deciding how I want to communicate in certain spaces. So yeah, my identity has definitely influenced the, the way I have represented myself, spoken up for myself, communicated a certain point of view, um, and taken into consideration the external factors that are in play. So through my research, did some amazing research, came across this amazing review that kind of like really highlighted for me, um, you know, the importance of identity. And this article identifies five reasons identity is important to communication. So since identity has a tremendous impact on our, our communication processes, you know, it's important to understand how our communication is received by others and how it is shaped by our identities and the identities of others. So one of the deeper elements in George Herbert Med's theory of symbolic interactionism ultimately goes into looking at these pieces of our of ourselves. So how we see ourselves, how others see us, um, and whether or not which influences which one first. So is it 
you know, engage in a conversation with people that makes me understand who I am or do I understand who I am and learn more about myself and other people through conversations with others. And I believe the exchange goes, it's, it's an it's, it's a in, a intersectionality, so to speak, of the exchange that takes place there. But the five reasons, number one, um, the five reasons um, identity is important to communication is number one, individuals bring their self images or identities to each communicative encounter. So each communication interaction is affected by their identity. So another a wonderful example it gives like an elderly person who's conversing with a teenager, you know, both parties are going to have to accommodate for the differences in their experience and language use. So, when I think about parent-child dynamics, and one of the reasons why that also sticks out to me, not just as parent-child, but I also think about other important adults in a child's life. So the other roles that are important as well. So auntie, cousin, uncle, grandma, um, grandpa, these are other roles that have an influence as well. So when I think about my nieces, I'm like, you know, I am a 30 plus year old adult woman who has, you know, experience speaking. I could, I can process my emotions differently. I have the language to process my emotions. So if my two year old, my soon to be two year old niece is doing something that I feel is you know, not what I want her to be doing because I believe that's dangerous and I have a perception that she can harm herself. The way that I approach her for me is very important. If I shout at her or yell at her, you know, and my nonverbal has that same energy behind it, that could shake her up. I don't want to have a negative impact on my baby girl. I want to have a strong impact where I'm being assertive. And even though she may not understand full out what I'm saying, how do I break it down with my words and my gestures? So if it's no, get down and I take my finger and I point down, 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 down. And then when she gets down, I say, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, please get down. I'm reinforcing something for her. Um, because our identities are different, you know, she's not going to fully understand what I'm saying. Second, communication interactions create and shape identities. Conversely, communication can also be used to denigrate other identities and create tension between groups. So adults, young people, Age dynamics, that's one part of your identity. The role of parent and child, that's another piece. I think it's really important to think about some of the conversations that might transpire and, you know, it can influence both parties' identities. So, for example, you know, just, I know in certain conversations with my my mom just having a certain level of <laughs> validation right i don't want to say validation but an appreciation 
whether I did something well or did something good, um, you know, how that was communicated to me from my mom definitely had an, had an impact. So especially when she's happy and she's proud, you know, that makes me feel really good that I'm doing something that isn't, you know, disturbing the peace, so to speak, but also is showing, um, is a representation of, of me. Like I feel good that I did this and I'm, and I created this, this feeling. So for me and my identity, it's good for me to like, you know, for me and how I might relate to my identity is I really want to create happiness in the people, create happiness and spread happiness amongst the people that I, I end up around no matter what. Right. So, you know, for me moving on growing older, getting older, that's how I might process, um, you know, process that. If I heard something um, on the opposite end, which is like, you know, <laughs> I think about discipline and certain things like do as I say, not as I do. Don't tell me what I said, do what I mean. These are some of these uh, sayings that in a parent-child dynamic can create some tension. Um, for example, let's say, do as I, you know, do what I tell you to do. Don't do what I, you know what I meant. It's like, you tell me, don't eat up all your food. I don't eat up all your food, but I left you with a couple of bites. Technically, I didn't eat up all your food. Technically, I left you with a couple of bites that you're really frustrated at. So when I said, when you go, who ate up all my food? And I said, I didn't eat up all your food. I left you something. And you go, that was eating. You know what I meant? It's like, did I really know? Did I really? Because what you said was, be again, be, what you said was this. So that's, you know, I ate and I'm, I was really hungry. I left a couple of bites and I thought it was okay. Okay, now I know it's not okay. <laughs> Third, identity plays an important role in intercultural communication. Um, I definitely believe that culture plays a part in communication. So I've, you know, I grew up in a household where my mom's American, my father's Haitian, my stepfather was Haitian, and there's just two different cultures going on in the household, you know? Um, and so early on, I kind of had to pick up and learn certain things and certain disciplines from my stepfather that was different from my mom. And so even watching both my mom and my stepfather, so interpersonal connections, right? Looking at the intercultural differences between them and how it played out, especially in regards to child rearing or raising children, I've definitely felt some of those impacts in which maybe some falling out in their communication has trickled down into how they have communicated with us or looking at the messages that maybe parents are supposed to be on the same page on and they're not on the same page and then seeing how you're dealing with two messages from two different parents and then can you imagine the confusion within a child trying to please both <laughs> and is it like am I disrespecting mom or dad when okay I'm gonna listen to mom but am I disrespecting dad okay I'm gonna listen to dad but am I disrespecting mom and then there's some other tensions that could come 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 out of that dynamic as well in which I've I have seen um, some parents taking out certain energies on their children and not being mindful that that, that energy in which they're operating under t 
technically and literally has nothing to do at all with the child and everything to do with how the adult have made meaning from a conversation and how they've interpreted the message from that conversation with what I would say another adult. But moving on. Fourth, understanding identity is useful because so much of US life is organized around and geared towards specific identities. So born here, raised here, this is where thinking about intercultural com communication, thinking about different cultures and how they come together. Here in American culture, <laughs> the culture that I'm born and raised in, there's so many, like, I swear so many, like, intersectionalities and checkboxes from your race, your age, your gender, sexuality, then there's class, and then there's this, then there's that, then there's, oh my goodness, there's like so many different things. Um, learning how to communicate effectively with individuals whose identities vary from yours may require considerable thought and effort. And I think that is a piece that is very important to, to highlight is it takes patience. Communication is a process. Things are always going in flux, right? So we have to understand the language and gestures that, you know, that are being used and how we anticipate a response based on that. And then we also got to understand that in relationships, um, especially, you know, personal relationships, there's always this ongoing tug of war that kind of takes place in communication because of tension, because of struggle, because there's two opposing views that are contrary to each other and they're on and they're different and they're coming together and they're kind of butting heads, but you got to find a common ground. So it takes some practice, you know, it's not necessarily a I'm going to give a directive, do as I say, shut it down, be quiet. This is what it is. And I've noticed even in interpersonal relationships between two adults, you can be with your significant other. It's like, you know, I've told you many times, boom, boom, boom. You just never listen. And da, 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 da. it's like a, you could just see the tension that, that comes up because communication is a process. It is in flux. And because sometimes we don't necessarily actively listen, which I will wrap up and close us out with um, top five questions that I believe is really good to ask yourself. Are you being a mindful communicator? Um, it's just really important to understand all the roles and like looking at all those identities and then having really real patience with communicating because it's not, we got to have more patience. And I say that because in the different roles that we have, I think power dynamics come into play, um, in which somebody might feel I have more power than you based on these ABCD factors. Um, and that could definitely, you can miss out on receiving, on having a, an opportunity to have a dialogue, to learn from each other, no matter what the dynamics are. So even when a, a relationship of age, just because someone's older, someone's younger, it does not mean that both people, both parties cannot learn from each other. Last but not least. Finally, identity is a key site in which individual and societal forces come together to shape communication experiences. So we have different identity characteristics and where we live at, 
in our society, you know, where we grow up at, there's another layer of how meaning is defined, right? And so all of that plays a role in how we communicate. So I know the things that I believe in, part of that is based off what my mom, my grandma believed in, families, people around me. Then, you know, you did, I develop other closer relationships with folks who are outside of my family, um, like mentors, for example. And so all of these kind of different, you know, these different aspects to our identity, the different messages that we receive plays a role, um, in how we shape our communication experiences. So all in all, identity is vital to how meaning is created in communication. And so again, I'm thinking about identity being vital. A piece of that is also language, you know, what's our language that we have, you know, developed um, because meaning arises out of the social interactions that people have with one another. So that is a, a key piece to our identities and how we also communicate, right? So we can't separate our identities. Um, and we can't separate from our identities as individuals or as members of society. Um, those are a part of us. It plays a role in how we communicate. Are you being a mindful communicator? Here's five questions to think about when examining how you communicate and listen to others. One, are you communicating your message, your point across assertively and clearly? Say what you mean and mean what you say. It is important to get into the habit of checking your tone and energy. Sometimes doing an energy check before speaking can be helpful to both you and the other person. For example, if you are angry and frustrated and the tone that you use is abrasive, the message you are communicating will be received differently because of the style of communication you are applying. Are you being assertive, passive, aggressive, or passive-aggressive. Think about it. Two, are you listening to understand or listening to just get your point across? Ask yourself, are you really focused on the message being told to you or focused on interrupting when you hear something you feel you need to correct and or address? When you are focused on what the message is that is being communicated, it confirms that you are intently listening versus looking for opportunity to interject with your response. It's important to listen more than you speak when trying to gain understanding about a certain perspective, behavior, attitude, and or action that is opposed to what you normally identify or resonate with. Three, are you taking into consideration the nonverbal cues? 
Our body language, eye contact, tone of voice, all sends powerful signals and cues. Are you aware of the tone you are using when speaking? Are you paying attention to your body language when speaking to someone else? How about when listening to someone else? Are you actively engaged in the conversation? For example, showing nods, brief verbal cues, maybe even paraphrasing the other person's statements just to showcase that you're listening. Four, are you being open-minded? When we make assumptions, it can be a source of conflict. It is important to ask clarifying questions before arriving to a conclusion. Have you thought about the situation from the other person's perspective? You may not like what someone is saying, but you can show respect in the conversation by listening actively and responding with civility. Five, are you expressing your personal issue using I language? It can be easy to lead with what someone else has done. For example, when you don't, or you should have, but it is more effective and assertive to lead with I statements. Using I statements indicates the proactive approach of taking accountability and responsibility for one's feelings, thoughts, behaviors, and actions, rather than justifying them through attributing them to someone else. As you navigate the hand-me-downs of your reality, it's important to know that relationships change. Communication in our interpersonal connections do not remain the same. There are many factors that influence influences the change, whether it's the growth on each person's individual part, whether one person decides to practice something new and it changes the nature of the communication and how, and how it has flown. And just overall, just two things that you cannot control in life, and that's time and change. And so those two factors alone will play a role in how we communicate in our interpersonal relationships. So just remember, it's really important to practice civility, which is claiming and caring for one's identity, needs, and beliefs without degrading someone else's in the process. And I believe no matter what type of relationship we are in, no matter our identity, no matter the role, we can be civil in our differences and understanding our differences and seeking meaning as we interpret the messages we receive. Thank you for the airplay you have given me today and tuning into navigating the hand-me-downs of reality. I am your host, Tiella Grimes, the Inner Uplifter, and I hope you are walking away with some tools to empower and uplift you as you navigate the hand-me-downs of your reality. 
Be sure to follow me on Facebook at Tiella Grimes 21 and also on Instagram at Tiella Grimes. Don't be afraid to drop a note with a thought or a question. So until our next journey together in light and love, peace.